what I would say is this, turn off the news. We'll know when we know, do not believe the rhetoric, do not make any massive sector or little on portfolio strategy changes at this time. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. Although Election Day is behind us, certainty about uncertainty remains. Here to unpack the U.S. election as things stand on the morning after and its impact on capital markets are Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist for BMO Capital Markets, John Adams, a Chicago-based portfolio manager at BMO Global Asset Management, and your host, Mark Rays, BMO GAM's head of product. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast player. And to stay informed as the U.S. election results crystallize, consider bookmarking the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to the BMO Global Asset Management U.S. election aftermath call. I'm your host, Chris, and the head of product, Mogam Canada for mutual funds and ETFs. So let's dive right into things. I think we need to do a quick recap, get everyone up to speed. Of course, the the presidential election remains uncertain. Uh, we know we've got the early votes, we've got the mail-in ballots uh, still to come in some crucial swing states. We're certainly seeing that the blue wave has, has not really materialized. Uh, it's actually very, very close at this moment even though Trump has already uh, falsely declared that, he, that he's already won. And, you know, when you think about markets, uh, of course, the only certainty seems to be uncertainty. Uh, we've got the U.S. S&T futures uh, moving around, uh, certainly some concerns about inflation. So, Brian, can we start with you? Uh, can you give us a recap of what's gone on last night and really focus in on the, the presidential race? Uh, where do we stand? What's next? Uh, what lies ahead uh, for this contested election? Thank you. Well, good morning. <clears throat> At least I think it's morning. I think it's going to be one of heavy coffee and visine today for a lot of us around the world, especially here in the United States. I think that uh, uh, people outside the United States uh, are going to be bewildered, quite frankly, on what happened last night and when it continues to unfold this week. I think what you have to remember um, is that we are the United States of America. We are 50 states, uh, and the states have the power in terms of the legislative side and how they're going to certify these elections. It doesn't come at a federal level. It comes at a state level. That's why you're hearing a lot of news overnight with respect to what's going to happen in Nevada and Pennsylvania. Now, uh, in terms of, of what we published here this morning to uh, our clients, and if you're on our list, you received it just after 5 a.m., we will know when we know. Uh, and trust the process uh, and trust how we're going to get there. I think clearly uh, from a confidence standpoint, uh, this will, uh, will clear faster um, if, if we get to a point where we will know the rest of the states in question, whether or not it's Georgia, North Carolina, Nevada, Michigan, and Wisconsin by Friday. Uh, a lot of parallels people are coming back in terms of American history. This is not un- unheard of. Uh, it, in 1960, it took the next day. Uh, to announce that John F. Kennedy was president in 2000, which is the most recent one, took 37 days. 
There's the famous hanging Chad incident with respect to the state of Florida certifying um, that election and, and the lawyers involved in that. And then, of course, we're going to go dark, uh, go 1877 with Rutherford B. Hayes following uh, President Grant um, that uh, during the reconstruction of our country, it took till after the after March and April to find out. We don't think it's going to be that long. We don't even think it's going to be 37 um, days, especially considering in, in 2000, we were focusing on one on one state. So what does that mean for for um, investments? Now, again, we're not policy or political strategists and the efficacy of polls uh, clearly are going to be in question. And I think John's probably going to talk a little bit about that. And that's where I think I want to start, because uh, what I would tell investors is this, Mark, um, when growth is scarce, growth outperforms. And you want to stick where uh, the scarcity proposal remains the strongest. And we think that's growth. And so whether or not that's secular growth, meaning the tech, uh, structural growth in terms of some retailers or thematic, in some areas of tech and communication services, and cyclical growth, which would be some big cap financials um, and other areas of, of the more uh, classic cyclicals, I think where the capacity comes in, you want to sell capacity and buy scarcity, where the capacity comes in, quite frankly, with respect to investments right now, is the rhetoric. So what I would say is this. Turn off, the, turn off the news on a state-by-state -state basis. The American um, legislature body in terms of states will do their job and declare a victor. And so don't buy into all the, all the polls um, and, and the surveys and all the noise with respect to what you're going to hear from both sides and really focus on what this means. Gridlock is typically good, which it looks like we're going to be seeing that. Again, John's going to cover uh, what happened on the congressional side. But it looks like gridlock uh, is going to continue. So from a, from a President Trump continuing, it's status quo with respect to our positioning. We may have to tweak some things uh, with respect to pre if there is a President Biden, uh, we'll have to tweak a little bit of things. But again, gridlock is, is really going to block a lot of procedures that both presidents would try to push through over the next two years. So again, uh, we have owned um, tech and communication services since inception of this portfolio. In part and parcel, that is why we continue to outperform, and we don't see any kind of change in that through this. So we'll know when we know. Stick with your process and discipline. Do not believe the rhetoric. Do not make any massive sector size and style or little on portfolio strategy uh, changes at this time. We will be out with our year-ahead report, as we do every year, uh, for both the U.S. and Canada once a, a successful conclusion uh, to this uh, U.S. presidential election and again, uh, we're people of faith, and we hope that, uh, that we have faith in the, pro in the process, and we hope that we're going to hear something sooner than later and we can get back to the business of investing. Thank you, Brian. We're well, certainly looking forward to that report. You're well known for the, the accuracy of your predictions, and as you mentioned, it, it comes through in the portfolio as well, the U.S. Equity Plus Fund. So great to get those opening comments from you. John, let's, uh, let's go over to you next. Of course, the presidential election isn't the only thing being contested right now. Uh, if the House, the Senate, uh, what that means in terms of potential outcomes, and, and as well the ability to, to get things done. Great. Thanks, Mark. And thanks, everyone, for joining. Uh, I have two small children, and they have just left for school, so thankfully it should be uh, quiet in the background here for a few minutes at least. Uh, but, yeah, you're exactly right uh, on the uh, Senate. I'll, I'll focus mainly on the Senate today. The House is very likely to remain uh, Democratic with Nancy Pelosi, uh, again, 
uh, remaining as a Speaker of the House. Uh, the Senate was really a big surprise uh, overnight. I think most had expected Democrats to take the Senate. They had kind of a 70% plus probability of doing so. But as we kind of moved throughout the night, it became uh, a bit more clear that it'd be difficult for uh, Democrats to flip the Senate. Uh, it looks like a very close race, but it looks like Republicans are favored um, to maintain the Senate at this point, about a 90% or so probability, uh, according to prediction markets. So both sides were able to flip one seat. Uh, Republicans, as expected in, in Alabama, Democrats, as, as expected in Colorado. Uh, there are a number uh, of seats, uh, six still to be decided. Um, two of those, notably in, in Georgia, uh, also Michigan, and a few other states uh, as, as well. Uh, but it's looking more likely that Republicans may uh, keep the Senate. So speaking to Brian's comments on gridlock, the most likely scenario right now looks like a Biden presidency combined with Republican Senate. Now, typically markets like uh, the, the lack of uh, uncertainty and they like gridlock because nothing bad uh, gets done overall. I think this time is unique uh, in the fact that markets are really focused on additional fiscal stimulus <clears throat> and the potential for a premature withdrawal of fiscal stimulus. Uh, I think coming into the election, markets were most worried about uh, a contested election, uh, and then secondly, worried about divided government, and it's looking more likely that's what we'll get. Uh, the issue with divided government in this scenario is that it might mean that you get less on the fiscal stimulus side than you would have in either a Democratic sweep scenario where you'd have gotten a, a huge package, uh, or Republican sweep where uh, President Trump's more kind of Keynesian at heart, uh, has said, go big or go home on, on stimulus. So what you could end up with in the divided government's more kind of closer to that $500 billion or so Senate Republican plan that's currently kind of been, been bandied about. So you'd still get fiscal stimulus, maybe not the fiscal stimulus that you would have gotten in the other uh, couple of scenarios. So Georgia's going to be really interesting. Uh, Purdue looks like he's over 50% uh, right now. So that could mean that he is able to win that seat. Uh, if he ends up below that 50% threshold, that seat will go to a runoff in January. The other seat in Georgia has already gone to a runoff. So the, you could see a, a scenario where the balance of the Senate uh, is out there until January and kind of all eyes are, are on Georgia in that January period. But what does that mean uh, from a policy perspective? Well, it means that confirmations, if Biden's elected president with the Republican Congress, it means that confirmation would be very difficult. Uh, Senate Majority Leader McConnell uh, is going to make things very difficult as far as uh, allowing uh, nominees. Uh, you've heard talk about Elizabeth Warren potentially being Treasury Secretary un under Biden. That's probably much less likely uh, in a, a divided government um, kind of scenario. But I would note that McConnell and Biden have worked together uh, quite a bit in the past. You, you could argue that, that Biden is exactly the kind of person that you would want in the White House in kind of a divided government scenario. He is someone who's worked across the aisle, kind of three separate examples, the, uh, the fiscal cliff in December of 2010, the debt ceiling deal in 2011, and notably the fiscal cliff in uh, 2012 mm -hmm. were all instances where uh, Biden worked closely together with uh, Mitch McConnell. So the, the bottom line for investors is really that the taxes look unlikely to be raised to any meaningful extent. Uh, fiscal policy looks like we'll, we'll get some uh, stimulus, but not as much as the other um, scenarios. 
Uh, and from a, a market perspective, uh, we think this is a, a neutral to modestly uh, positive outcome uh, overall for equities, especially as we begin to get a bit more clarity, hopefully in the coming days, uh, and some of the risk premia is uh, taken out of the equity market. Thanks, John. Brian, I want to come back to you. Uh, I know in your, your opening comments there, you did make uh, a couple of quick points on markets. Uh, but of course, you're very well known uh, with our audience for your, your long-term bull market call and being an investor, being able to look past the short-term noise. Uh, certainly challenging, especially as most of us have run through all the good programs on Netflix to not turn on CNN. Um, but can you go a little deeper into, you know, your thoughts on, on markets, uh, particularly since our, our advisors here on the call are staring in the face of, of some short-term volatility? Thank you. No, thank you. Uh, I think, again, uh, that we stand behind our, our target of 3650 for the S&P 500 uh, and uh, 18200 on Canada. I think Canada actually could catch uh, a bit of a bid, so to speak, um, because of the, I think, less volatility in Canada uh, under the current scenario with respect. I, I think a blue wave would have been um, bad for financials in Canada, especially on the tax side, uh, with the Senate uh, going Democrat, if that was going to be the case, uh, which is, doesn't look like it's going to be the case as of now. Uh, again, I think there's several different views on, on whether or not it's going to be President Trump or Joe Biden. I think it's still way too early to call. Uh, a favorite there in either direction. So again, we'll know when we know, and that's why I turn off the rhetoric. I would say this, that again, um, you're going to want to own Amazon a year from now, right? You're going to want to own um, Apple a year from now. You're going to want to own Shopify a year from now. You're going to want to own Waste Connections a year from now. You're going to want to own Kushtard a year from now. Uh, you're going to want to own CP or CN a year from now. And so, again, we think stocks are higher a year from now. And with respect to the next several days or several weeks, we don't invest for several days or several weeks. We invest for several months. And so at the end of the day, uh, with the economic data coming in better, the ADP number today uh, that came out that was, was short, of course it came out short because um, companies started to scale back in October in terms of their hiring because they were worried about the blue wave and corporate taxes. That's the reality of what this is. The ADP number is not necessarily great predictive anyway. So economic data is improving. Earnings that beat at a higher expectation relative to history. There's more and more companies um, in the United States that are, are giving guidance. And the Fed and our great economics team basically said that, you know what, uh, nothing for three years. And if that's the case, um, John brought up risk premium uh, with respect to the market. It still points you toward being an equity investor. So that's why we still think quality we still think growth. We're going to have uh, fits and starts with respect to value. Be careful on making those big grandiose calls. Remember, the stock market is a market of stocks, and that's why we think individual stock picking, thematic investing, uh, and being in more concentrated portfolios make a lot more sense than trying to buy broader indices at this point, especially considering all, all, the, all the wherewithal um, and the issues internally within certain sectors. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying the episode, we encourage you to tune in to our Deep Dive series, where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM solutions. Our latest episode features the BMO Quality ETF Suite, a full complement of tools to help you access the best companies from around the world. 
For more information, please see the episode notes below. John, I want to come back to you. Uh, of course, being a member of the multi-asset team, you're looking at global markets, not just uh, North America. Does this change anything uh, from your perspective in terms of international uh, holdings in the portfolio, or is it really still um, a wait and see and, and have a longer term view? Thanks. Yeah, I think it's really a, a wait and see uh, approach right now, Mark, until we get a bit more clarity, especially on who the uh, ne- next president might be. You know, we've had a lot of discussions as a global multi-asset team heading into the election. We did reduce risk uh, about a month ago ahead of the election on the idea that we would get uh, a spike in volatility uh, around the election. We moved to cash in some of our portfolios globally that are uh, a bit faster moving with the idea that we would uh, reallocate uh, post-election uh, once we get uh, a bit more clarity. Um, I would say, you know, if, if you got Biden as, as president with uh, Republican Congress, uh, you know, that, that could be a better environment for equities outside the U.S. So we've been underweight international uh, ex-U.S. developed equities for the last few years. You could see more of a case uh, for those equity markets uh, in that scenario as trade tensions fall, uh, U.S.-EU relationship likely uh, improves. Uh, in that scenario, we thought that in kind of the democratic sweep scenario that you'd get uh, a, a stronger case for ex-U.S. equities because U.S. equities would get hit by uh, that, that corporate tax uh, increase. But now that's looking uh, a bit less likely. We also think a Biden presidency could be um, could be a good thing for emerging market equities uh, as well with uh, reduced trade tensions, potentially uh, a weaker dollar uh, which could support emerging markets. So, yeah, really, really the short answer is we're waiting for a bit more clarity. We don't want to do anything anything rash in, in portfolios right now until uh, we get a bit more clarity. But I think similar to Brian, uh, we're, we're much more constructive, medium term. And if you kind of look past the election, uh, the fundamental story is, is pretty strong globally with uh, the economy picking up. We're, we're pretty bullish on, on a, a vaccine here. Uh, and you will get some degree of uh, fiscal stimulus again, uh, regardless of the uh, election outcome. Great. Thanks for that, John. Uh, at this point, we're going to switch gears and make sure that we're answering some of the questions that are coming in. So I'm able to start with the online questions. So, John, the first I'll, I'll give to you, and this comes in from Jeff Ryan. Uh, question around polling, and of course, we all heard of there was improved polling in 2020 versus 2016. Uh, but there was a call for the blue wave, which hasn't necessarily appeared. How should investors view polls going forward? Thanks. Yeah, I think that's an important question. Clearly, we're missing something with polling, especially in the presidential elections in 2016 and in 2020. The polls were much more accurate in the uh, midterm elections in 2018. So you heard a lot of stories about the potential for so-called shy uh, Trump voters heading into the election. Um, That was perceived to be kind of a relatively small uh, chance of occurring, just given the fact that in in 2018, that didn't really happen. You didn't see that same effect. But there is something to these presidential elections that that polls are missing. And if you look at national polls, I mean, Biden was expected to win uh, pretty significantly, and that's clearly not going to happen. It's going to be a very close race regardless of the outcome. And looking at specific states, for example, the polls were pretty far off in Florida. They had Biden up by 
two and a half percent and Trump won by three and a half percent in Wisconsin, especially. You saw some of the more recent polls were uh, double digit uh, for uh, Biden. And that's going to be a very uh, close race. that's now appearing to lean uh, toward Biden here over the last uh, few hours. But I think we will need a fundamental rethink of how we're polling, how complicated these questions are, whether we're getting a representative sample uh, from the polls overall, because they clearly haven't given us uh, a very good indication here uh, over the last couple of election cycles. Thanks, John. Brian, I'll send this next question your way, coming in from Mike Reynolds. If Trump loses, uh, but goes down fighting with no peaceful transition, which clearly he's signaling, uh, what are the possibilities he does something to damage markets, or is this even something that we should worry about? Thanks. Uh, <clears throat> thanks, Mike. Long-term uh, listener, first-time caller. I appreciate the, the question. I would say this. Um, you know, um, it's already consensus that Trump is going to uh, fight this. Uh, I think you have to be objective. And you have to be honest with uh, yourself. And you have to understand that, that the fight's going to come from both sides. It's pretty clear. We saw that in 2000. We saw a bit in 1960 uh, as well with respect to the rhetoric uh, from the Republican side of President, uh, I'm the Vice President uh, Nixon. And so, again, I think you got to be careful just pointing the fingers one side. Uh, clearly, the behavior is what the behavior is. And it's the unfortunate thing with respect to um, this notion of President Trump. But, again, at the end of the day, we will know when we know, and that's why I think it's vitally important to turn off the rhetoric and understand and, and control what you can control, which has been our overall theme of 2020. Don't make binary decisions. Stick with quality. There's going to be plenty of time to position for this. Uh, we firmly believe we will have a, a presidential decision, and, and I believe that, and I have to believe that because I'm an American and I have faith that that no matter what, um, uh, both parties uh, will, will take that and we'll move on from this. We have to move on. This is only one way to think about this. Do not, I repeat, do not continue to focus on the negative. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's a great point, Brian, because certainly one of the big things people were concerned about was any um, violence around the voting station, things of that nature, and happy to see that that hasn't been the case. Everybody has been respectful of the process. We've got uh, a number of questions coming in here. We'll go to the next. Um, and John, I'll turn this your way, coming from Bob Glass. Uh, why did futures markets and yesterday's markets react favorably when it looked like a Trump win? Thanks. Sure, yeah, I think especially the NASDAQ futures reacted very favorably. I think at one point up over, over 3% yesterday evening. And I think a lot of that's just due to the fact that um, the uh, potential for corporate tax increases has clearly lessened. If you get a divided government, corporate taxes probably uh, don't change. Uh, you saw growth outperform versus value for a lot of the reasons that Brian alluded to earlier, where kind of growth is scarce, uh, interest rates would likely stay low in that scenario. You wouldn't get any kind of that, that reflationary trade uh, that was thought to potentially happen in a democratic sweep where you'd get kind of four or five uh, plus trillion in stimulus under a democratic sweep scenario that was thought to be reflationary supportive of areas like value uh, with rising rate environment versus growth. But now 
uh, with the opposite looking like uh, it, it could occur, um, you, ha- you have seen equities rally and kind of the uh, peak of that was, was overnight when it looked like there was a chance that President Trump might win somewhat convincingly uh, before uh, in, in Wisconsin, I think in particular, kind of uh, turned the the other way. But I think it was really twofold. I think number one, markets were uh, just kind of cheering any any kind of um, definitive results uh, in the election uh, and, and two, really focusing on that, that corporate tax issue um, as far as U.S. companies not getting hit as hard from any uh, potential corporate tax increase. Great. Thanks for that, John. Uh, this next question I'll actually give to, to both of you, maybe starting with Brian coming in from Leon Jackson. Uh, you know, you've both spoken bullishly about equity markets. Uh, so if we step beyond the election and, and go to the other big story, uh, you're concerned about the economic drag associated with COVID as we've, we've clearly come into the second wave. Thanks. I think you, I think you talked a little bit about COVID. I think, in, in what's going to happen in terms of uh, of the vaccine and everything, again, it's been our uh, it's been our um, our view that the vaccine is not a magic bullet, quote unquote. Um, but and I do b- believe, if indeed, um, which you know consensus is already saying Trump's not going to win, but if, if Trump does uh, the pre- uh, retain the presidency, we believe wholeheartedly that um, the emotions and rhetoric surrounding COVID. Uh, and surrounding the president's handling of COVID are going to increase dramatically. And that only uh, puts a further bid in um, the technology stocks and the communication services stocks uh, with respect to um, uh, growth is scarce and the whole mobile society theme, stay-at-home theme, especially given the higher likelihood if COVID continues, the coronavirus continues on its current path, um, of the possibility of, of state lockdowns and further political rhetoric. So that would be our stance on that. Thanks, Brian. John, do you want to jump in on that one? Sure, yeah. I think I, I'd echo everything that, that, that Brian said there. I think you know, if you do see the virus begin to worsen here, as is expected by many experts over the next few weeks, that really could be a wake-up call uh, for the president and for Congress as far as uh, putting through potential stimulus. About a third of the proposed stimulus is really COVID-related, so you could see something there in kind of the lame duck session. Uh, inauguration day is January 20th. Congress returns January 3rd, so there is there is time to potentially uh, get something done, and we think that if the virus situation were to worsen meaningfully uh, from here, you might see uh, that as kind of the uh, catalyst for both sides to come together and finally get some uh, emergency uh, COVID aid passed. And that would likely be supportive uh, of, of equities from that standpoint, that it would include uh, other elements aside from just the uh, coronavirus aid. Great. Thanks, John and Brian, uh, both of you on that question. Um, I think we've got uh, time for one more. Uh, and this comes right back to the election coming in from Karen Mason. John, I'll send this your way. Um, Please elaborate on what it would take uh, for Biden to win. So I'm seeing that's a a comment on on swing states. Thanks. Sure, yeah, I think the the path has actually widened a bit for Biden to win uh, after winning Arizona. So there is a path where if he's really strong in the Midwest, he can win uh, even aside from 
uh, Pennsylvania. So I think the, the Biden camp's hoping that Wisconsin uh, might be called in their favor this morning. Uh, Trump has a, a lead in Michigan, but a lot of the uncounted ballots are heavily skewed Democratic. So if you could get Biden uh, to um, have both of those states called, for example, and uh, Nevada, we won't get any news until um, tomorrow. But that, that could be enough for Biden to win potentially without Pennsylvania. Uh, if Biden does need Pennsylvania, that could be a couple of additional days in order uh, for all those ballots to be counted. Uh, if it came down to one individual state like Pennsylvania, that could lead to recounts. It could lead to legal battles. That's kind of the more concerning scenario probably uh, for, for investors. But but again, if, if Biden's able to perform very well uh, in, in the Midwest, that would be kind of his, his clearest, clearest path to uh, victory at this point. Great. Thank you for that, John. Well, just watching the time, uh, we've actually come through our uh, our slot here, so I think we'll we'll stop the questions at this point. Uh, so I want to thank, of course, both Brian and John for joining us today. Uh, some really great comments and really good insights for people to take back. Uh, I think we're all suffering from information overload right now, so maybe we can all take uh, Brian's advice and just take a little break from it for a little bit. Uh, save the save the popcorn for another day or two, and then uh, breathe a little bit. If you do have Further questions, please reach out to your, your BMO Global Asset Management team. Thank you to Mark Reyes, Brian Belsky, and John Adams for joining us on Views from the Desk. In today's episode, we heard a timely response the morning after U.S. election 2020 with impartial analysis of the results to date and crucial trade ideas to manage the turmoil ahead. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, reach out to your regional BMO ETF specialist or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.